friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. these encounters with Jesus, and here we see the story of Jesus stepping into Peter's life for the first time, and we would just pray today, step into ours again, Lord, please step in. In this encounter, we see that Peter goes from this pursuit of happiness now to a pursuit of the meaning of life, but for us, happiness is the pinnacle at least for a lot of us. It's, it's baked into our constitution, for crying out loud. We believe that we have the right to happiness, right? And that's our expectation. And since expectation is what happens when expect, since frustration is what happens when expectations go unmet, we spend a lot of our life frustrated because we're not happy. But if you've lived long enough, you'll realize that happiness is fickle and it never lasts for very long. We're tricked into believing that success will make us happy. But if that's true, why are so many successful men and women so unhappy, empty, unsatisfied, and unfulfilled? See, I think there's this great American trap, right? There's an equation out there that Robert McGee came up with in a book called The Search for Significance. It says this, my self-worth equals my performance plus the opinions of others. That your self-worth, if you're not careful, could equal your performance plus the opinions of others. And if we're honest, I think that's the default setting for many of us in this room. We hop on this treadmill towards happiness and, and we move through life until there's one day that we realize that we're exhausted in our pursuit. After a few successes, we become even more aware of the fact that no success ever fills us completely. One preacher says that the loneliest moment in life is when you achieve the ultimate and it lets you down. Solomon understood this as well as anyone. Richest man to ever live, most powerful man at his time. And after reflecting, this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 2, anything I wanted I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work. It was a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked for so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. Seriously, how does a guy who has it all say something like that? Everything that we've dreamed about, he's got and times 10. What's the problem? The problem is it's not just the American trap that has that formula. It's the human trap. 
And that formula is set up for disappointment. So again, don't hear what's not being said. I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pursue doing your job in an excellent manner. I'm not saying that you shouldn't strive to be the very best at everything that you put your mind to. I'm not saying that you should not dream big dreams. I'm just presenting truth today from God's word that says that we should do those things for the right reasons and with the right expectations. Because if you expect success to bring meaning, you're going to be frustrated. I certainly don't want to make today about me, but just one quick example is in 1998, I'm 28 years old, I had kind of from my mid-teens to about 28 this dream of coaching in college. And I had the opportunity to do so at the University of Notre Dame, and so I accepted the position, and through a series of events, I ended up recanting on that position. Calling a buddy, a new buddy of mine by the name of Todd Lovelace and saying, hey, I'll come out and be a youth pastor with you in Oklahoma City. And we had a heck of an eight-year run. I loved it. And then God in his kindness in 2006 gave me the opportunity to live out that dream again. And so I coached college volleyball at the University of Tulsa, and it was truthfully everything I dreamed. It was a blast. I loved it as much as I've done anything. And we experienced success. Uh, I'd always dreamed of, you know, getting one of those rings that you see people wear. And so we went from worst to first in our first year. And this is the first time in about 17 years it's been out of the top drawer. We, uh, we hit the recruiting trail that year and we were killing it in recruiting. In fact, got so many that we're having to figure out how, how can we get this person to walk on. And we were having all kinds of success. And then it was May of that year. And I called back to a mentor of mine, Tom, and uh, said, you know, I'm having as much fun as I've ever had. And we're experiencing success. But I'm frustrated. Because I'm not able to be the kind of person, kind of dad, sorry. You gotta hate it when I cry. I couldn't be the kind of dad I wanted to be. And I was I knew that was my calling. And so it was that phone call that this dream for Skyline actually was born. And so we moved back and kicked off this little community that would maybe dream about bringing heaven and earth just a little bit more together. And my kids Man, they've been the beneficiary of it. I don't know if you've got to know Chase. He's up here a lot. But if you've had a chance to meet Katie Gracie, you'll know she's amazing. Kids are amazing. And this place has a lot to do with that. I just can't, it's hard to even think about who they would be. Who would Chase be if it wasn't for Jonathan and Todd's investment into their life? I don't know. Would he have married Mallory and be expecting our first this week, first grandchild, their first child? I don't know. Would Katie Grace have got to marry the man of her dreams and an incredible guy named Charlie? I don't know. But I do know that I experienced success and it wasn't enough. And success is nothing more than a momentary retreat. But meaning, real meaning, comes when we fulfill our call. God has a purpose for me. God has a purpose for each one of you.
And that purpose is not about vocation. Now, he can use your vocation to bring about the calling that he has for your life, but it's not about a job. He's got a purpose, and that's what we see in today's story, right? That you can go from vocation to calling in an instant. Simon, who will become Peter, thought his calling was to be a fisherman. Anyone here to love to fish? Show of hands. I know Brian, a few of you. I love to fish. And uh, I did a little bit when I was a kid, but about five years ago, I jumped in with both feet. My family know if we're, we're going to get into something, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. <laughs> so I jumped in with both feet, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But man, ooh, what, what, what do fishermen do? I know what Peter thought about. I know, I, I know that uh, because it's what we all think about who fish, and it's the big catch, right? It's about how many did you catch? How, how big was the biggest one that you caught? I mean, we're, we're a sick group. My grandpa loved to fish, and uh, he had this little cottage cabin uh, on a lake, and on his wall, on a piece of wood, was the fisherman's prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it says, Lord, grant me the grace to catch a fish so big that even I, when telling of it afterwards, may never have to lie. A question I would ask and a truthful answer wish, are all fishermen liars or do only liars fish? And God answered, a question, uh, since a question you have asked and a truthful answer wish, all men are liars and some fish. There's <laughs> a little bit of truth to that. But fishing was Peter's vocation. And a big catch would mean certain happiness for him. This would not only stroke his ego and increase his self-worth, but it would also give him the ability and the opportunity to take care of his young family. Coming up empty, on the other hand, would create stress. Not unlike us in business, right? We have investors or, or bosses who may be on you and get after you. And when we fail in our jobs, it affects us. And could, it could even put our jobs on the line. And that's certainly no fun. And that's the scene of this story when we first begin. And this story, you may have you've seen it now. You've heard it maybe many times before. I'm just saying, would you just quickly say, Lord, would you just breathe afresh anew? This, this story. May your word be living and active and, and reveal something uh, today because what we're going to see is the anatomy of what it means or how it happens that a person goes from a life pursuing happiness to a life of meaning. Verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1 of Luke. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, there were people, uh, people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So we're just going to work through this. I think there's a couple of moves that take place in just these first few verses of chapter 5. The first is that the people were listening to the Word of God. The Word of God giving the Word of God. The question is, what are we listening to? I mean, really, that's rhetorical. What, what, what are you listening to? What most has your attention these days? I don't have to tell you, we live in the loudest culture in the history of man. 
There's more information coming at us at a rapid pace than ever before. Satan doesn't have to do much, but just sit back and let the noise distract us. We have in our pockets, right, or our purses, these 24-7 uh, devices that give us access to email, text messages, social media, media alerts, the internet, YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, podcasts, news outlets. It's, it's a very loud culture, and we haven't even got to TV. Some, some don't have any interest in listening to the Word of God. But for others of us, sometimes his word just gets drowned out by the cares and the noise of this world. world. But Peter was listening. And you're listening today. And that's the first step in making a move from happiness to meaning. Some of you took that step a long time ago. Some of you are new to taking that step. But I just want to take a second to commend you and affirm that in you. Thank you for, for taking the step to listen to the word of God. The second step occurred when Peter agreed to let the teacher borrow his boat, right? We'll come back to this idea of borrowing at the end, but I want you to picture the scene, right? You got this crowd gathered in that were pressing in on Jesus. That's why he had to push out just a little bit from the shore so, so he could teach the masses. And now this crowd is looking at two people, aren't they? Two people in this boat. One is Jesus. The other is Peter. Peter is now identified with Jesus. That's the second step, right? He, he went from just merely listening to the word to, to now he's identified. And for us, that might be showing up in a place like this, right? It, it's a step past just listening. We're now our family, our friends, our neighbors, and maybe even coworkers know that we're churchgoers, that we've identified with this Jesus, some of us even begin to begin giving our resources to Christian organizations like the church or FCA or Young Life or Youth for Christ, City Care, Hope House, right? And again, I want to affirm that because too few people are taking that step today. Jonathan often says that the kingdom of God comes to those who show up and you've showed up today. But just a quick warning, this is not the place to stop. This is not the end result. This is just step two in the process of calling. You know this is true, right? Many, many people just stop at this church attendance thing. But what I, in relationship to the story that we're talking about, this is the shallows. This is the shallow end. But God is calling us to something much deeper when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Go, go out, Peter, into the unknown, where, where safety may be in question and insecurity is real. A, a place where on your own, you're not sure whether you're going to make it or not. And you sure aren't in control. See, Jesus' command at this point to, to Peter didn't make any sense to the professional fishermen. And not only did it not make sense, it seemed a bit like a risk, right? Because out in the deep, that was a place that all the Jews knew. That's a scary place out in the deep. It's, it's where spirits may come up. Some of us are more risk averse than others. 
And, and, and at first, this pushing out into the deep, it seemed like a risk. But let me ask you, where did the voice come from that asked Peter to go? Jesus wasn't standing out on the shore saying, hey, hey, Peter, push out into the deep. Go out there where it's unknown and you're not sure what's going to happen and where the winds could pop up quickly. Good luck. Nah. The voice of calling came from within the boat. It's a reminder to all of us that when Jesus calls us to something, he promises to always go with us. He never asks us to go out into the deep alone. When the author of life, the creator of the universe, calls you to take a risk, calls you to take a step, calls you out into the unknown, it's not a risk. I don't care if there's a size five hurricane coming towards your little rowboat. There, you, you've heard this before, right? And there's times I question it. There's no safer place to be than in the center of God's will. There's people who get martyr, martyred all over the world. So I can't promise you that the safest place is always going to be what we earth, think from an earthly perspective is the safest place, but I can tell you it's the best place because it's where he's it, he is, and he will be with you, and when he's with you, there will be a reward. See, Peter was about ready to go from just being in the presence of God to now going with the presence of God. But first, the excuse, right? The excuse. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all, hard all night and haven't caught anything. Jesus asked you to do something. You ever start to make excuses? You ever tempted to? Well, sure. That's what Peter's doing here. What he's really saying is, hey, you may not realize this because you're a teacher and not a fisherman, but the best time to go catch fish during this season is in the evening when it's cooler and the fish come up in the water column and it's actually easier to catch them. You may not realize that. Besides Jesus, we literally have busted our tail all night and haven't even caught a minnow. And we just spent the last hour cleaning our nets, putting them up, because we're going to have to go repeat the process tonight. See, Peter was experiencing the same thing that you and I do when we sense that still small voice calling us to do something that makes us nervous. It's that threat of not being in control of his own boat. Not being in control of his own life. If I do it your way, Jesus, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Let's not pretend like this is not something that's hard. But Jesus looks at Peter the way that he looks at you and I. And it's with that look of who's in charge of your boat? Who's the captain of your ship? Who's the CEO of your life? Who's calling the shots? Peter had a big decision to make. And he says, but because you say so, I will. I will let down the nets. This is important. The Christian life really comes down to just two things. It's hearing God's voice and obeying. 
that simple. And there was a lot at stake for Peter when he made this decision. A lot more at stake than just his comfort zone, right? He, he could have missed out on playing such an integral part of God's redemptive story. Now, I believe that he would have accomplished his purpose anyways. We just wouldn't be talking about Peter today had Peter made another decision. He gave Peter a choice. He gives us a choice. And I pray that I respond to God's voice the way that Peter decided to respond. This doesn't make sense. I can tell you, I got a lot of volleyball friends who who warned me not to, to, to leave Tulsa. Everything was mapped out. The next thing would be to get a head coaching job and win there and move again and win there and, and maybe move up the ranks. For what? But I can tell you at the time, it didn't make a lot of earthly sense. But looking at, back on it now, it makes perfect sense. Because you say so, I will. And Peter surrendered his autonomy, his say-so, his control, his ability to do whatever he wanted to do. And later in the book of Luke, we're going to see these words, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. 1 Corinthians 2.9, quoting Isaiah 64, says this, The eye has not seen and the ear has not heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You can't even dream or think or imagine what he has for you. Jonathan quoted D.L. Moody the other week. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And he goes on to say, by God's help, I aim to be that man. Do you? Really? Do you? That will require a surrender of your say-so. And not just once, but daily. And maybe not just daily, but hour by hour. I don't know if you were privileged enough to be here on Sunday night when uh, the, the family team led by Todd talked about uh, the family ministry going on here. There's some incredible things going on with your kiddos. But, but he posted this prayer, and I had to take a picture of it. This is, what our, this is what our leadership is praying over your kids, that our kids would surrender their hearts to God and be transformed by Holy Spirit over time as they learn to abide in Jesus daily. Friends, that's not just for our kids. I've been praying that prayer for me this week. I've been praying that prayer for everybody who showed up today, this week. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fists that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This thing just happened. This thing that, that Peter had dreamed about his whole life. He'd probably prayed about this often. God, would you give me, would you give me a catch like this? And it happened. What would you do? How would you respond? How would I respond? 
I would get out this 24-7 camera, right? And I'd start taking pictures, and I would post it on every social media app I had. I might even send it to the newspaper, right? Because I know there's at least one, Todd admitted it, there's at least one person who still reads the newspaper, right? They might actually see that. And I would hang out by the lower Illinois River, and I would sign autographs with all my newfound fans. What did Simon do? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Something in an instant changed in Peter's heart. See, he recognized the holiness of God. The world is going to try to tell us you're a good person. Just trust your heart. But the closer we get to the holiness of God, the more clearly we see how sinful we really are. And the world says, don't do that because it will wreck your self-esteem. Come on. Come on. That is a lie. When you get close to the holiness of God and you realize how sinful you are in your heart and in your mind, yet you understand how much a holy God loves you and believes in you, your esteem can't go anywhere but up. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything and followed him. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. And we see in the book of Acts, after the resurrection, after the filling of Holy Spirit in Peter's life, we see him go, going from, from now, not just being in the presence of God, but going with the presence of God and now doing amazing things through the presence of God. And what I want to tell you is that's the calling for every one of us. That through the presence of the Holy God living in our lives, He wants to fish out people. Why? Because people are floundering. People that we live near, work with, pass on a daily basis, are floating aimlessly. Glassy-eyed, waiting for the next shiny thing to flash through, flash past their nose. They're swimming in a place that's not good for them. It's the sea of a secular society which says, don't let anyone tell you what to do. Ident identify however you want. Go with your gut. Trust your heart. Do not surrender to anyone. You're the captain of your ship. And this does so much damage to the human heart. As Augustine would say, or did say, the heart is wired for God. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. And Jesus first wants to rescue you and then through you and his presence that goes with you wants to rescue others from this futility.
futility and eventual death. Again, the Christian life. Christian life comes down to two things. Hear God's word. Obey. So here's the question. Is God speaking to you? Has he been speaking to you? Here's the deal. If you read much of the New Testament, when God is silent, something's off. No judgment. Do not hear judgment in the next question. When is the last time you've heard his voice? It's just one of the ways that we evaluate the vitality of our faith. And we just need to be honest with ourselves. Because we don't want to find ourselves in the place of the days of Amos. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. God, may, may that never be true in this family's midst. I'm 52. Been a part of several churches, served on a few church staffs. And I can tell you that God's presence is moving in historic ways in the midst of this little group. And I, know, I, can, I can only imagine, if you haven't been a part of a lot of churches or maybe lived a lot of life, I, I can just imagine how that would be easy to take for granted. But from my experience, this is pretty rare. And now is the time to position yourself in a place where you can hear the words of God. Just show up where he shows up. This is not about, have I put enough time into church this week so I can not feel guilty? It's not it. It's simply about, I want, I long for nothing more. I'm hungry, as Jonathan prayed about earlier. I'm hungry to be where the Lord's manifest presence is. That's why, that's why, amen, that's why we recommend Mondays at noon and Wednesday nights. It's not so we can have a bigger crowd and the staff and elders feel better about themselves. It's not about that at all. We just know that the, the more off or the, the closer the proximity and the higher the frequency that you are in his presence, the more easily you will hear from him. Psalms 25, 14. The Lord counsels those who honor him. Some will say worship, some translations. He makes his covenant known to them. I just believe that in those moments of worship, can you worship him in your own closet? Yes. Can you worship him in your car driving to work? Yes, do it both places. But we offer forums on Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday to come together and join and worship. And he promises wherever two or three are gathered, he's going to be in our midst. And you have an opportunity to hear from him. The kingdom of God comes to those who show up. So first, it's about hearing. Second, it's about obeying. Scale of one to ten, how quick are you to say? Because you say so, I will. One of the most haunting quotes 
And one of my favorites, I guess, is Dallas Willard in Search of Guidance. He says this, Perhaps we don't hear the voice of God because we don't expect to hear it. But perhaps we don't expect to hear it because we know that we fully intend to run our lives on our own and never seriously consider anything else. The voice of God would therefore be an unwelcome intrusion into our plans. As the band comes back up, we just do some, just a little bit of evaluation. If you heard God's voice today, would it be an unwelcome intrusion or would it be, thank you, this is the moment I've been waiting for? I don't know if he'll speak, but I know if you're open to hear him speak, it will increase the odds. I said we'd come back to this idea of borrow, right? Jesus borrowed Peter's boat at the beginning. But something happened in the middle where it was no longer about borrowing his boat. Peter says, the whole boat's yours. Whatever you say, I will. Have you done that? We're going to sing a song, but it's not, there's not going to be some emotional manipulation to try to get you to do that now. But have you done that? Have you given up the captain's seat to your life? And if you haven't, it can happen in an instant. And like Peter, like me, it can change your destiny and your families. you two more questions. What's one step you could take this week? One step you could take this week that would increase the odds of hearing God's voice. How can you move a little bit closer to that opportunity? And finally, has he or is he calling you into the deep, calling you into something unknown. You know he's been knocking, he's been calling you, and you're like, man, and the excuses are just going. Would you stop making excuses today? No judgment. He's calling you into the deep. Would you join him? We're going to stand. There'll be people uh, that are a part of our prayer team. They're amazing. Maybe you want to pray about something that didn't even have anything to do with the message today. That's great. Would you hear from his voice? And then would you respond in obedience?